morning. Uh, just want to let you know that those of you who are sitting on the edge up there and the edge here, you might be in obstructed view seats. If you've ever been out to FedEx Field, you know what I'm talking about as I walk around. You might not be able to see me, so I'm warning you now in case you want to fan out that way. I had asked the staff to put together, because we're doing you know, football jerseys, I said, could we just put together some random clips of uh, NFL teams or whatever? I had no idea that they were going to come up with that. That was... Uh, uh, I thought it was very important on a day like this uh, when we're all talking about football jerseys. And it's important for me in the position that I'm in to be very impartial, to be up here not in a jersey because we're, you know, I love all football teams and we want to be a very inclusive church. And so I just didn't want to think it was good, so I didn't wear my jersey today. I hope that's okay. I wanted to recognize I have received over the years wonderful gifts from, from people here at Grace. And uh, I just want to share a couple of them with you. I was uh, given this. And so the staff was saying to me, because as you notice, we don't have a stage up here. The staff is saying, you know, John, uh, I don't know that it's so good that there's not a stage for you to be on. They need to have something that you're standing on. So I was, we put that. Does that work? I have one other thing I'd like to share with you. Wonderful grace attender gave me this, all you cowboy. And I thought, you know, what a better thing to do. Stand on top of those two things right there. We do have some wonderful Christians here at Grace, some people who are really led by the Spirit who don't do things like that. Somebody this morning just gave me this on the way in. And it's this person, I'm sad to say, is married to a Dallas Cowboys fan, but Julie Lotz gave me this. And that... It's good to know that some people in your church are actually following Jesus Christ. I'm going to put this away just in case some of those things might be offensive to you this morning. You don't have to see them. And I'm going to just speak this morning, if I can, out of my burgundy and gold Bible. Uh, I don't use this much, but to special occasions like this, I, I bring it out. Modern Family Part Number 2, we're going to talk about uh, this morning. The first value was this, value number one. Does anybody remember? Actually, does anybody remember that from last week? What was the value number one? Anybody? Imagine the end. Imagine where are we trying to go. So Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, forgetting what is past, I'm straining toward what is ahead, and I press on toward the goal, the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so what we talked about last week is, is it's clear from Scripture, it's clear from the Bible that God has a goal for us, that there's like a super bowl in our future, and God wants to, us to move towards that. But what is also very true, and that it is difficult for us to get from where we are here all the way to where God wants to take us, and we need some helps. And so this is what Deuteronomy is so much about, and all over the Bible is helps. We need helps along the way. So the big help, the first help, and us imagining the end, us getting to the end, is this, is that we need to keep asking this question. It's as simple as this. Because the number one thing we can do is get into the Bible. The simple question is, what does the Bible say about that? If we keep, ask, if we keep saying that question over and over again, throughout life, throughout our day, what does the Bible say about that? It is a proven fact, everybody, that that is the number one, by far, catalyst that will propel you towards the goal that God wants to send you in. Isn't that amazing? What does the Bible say about that? Could you say that with me? Would you repeat with me? 
What does the Bible say about that? You know what? If you can simply say that, if you can simply say that throughout your life, you will be propelling yourself at major help and you reaching that goal. Second value, value number two we're going to talk about today is widen your circle. Widen your circle. This is so very, very important. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, as it begins, Deuteronomy means second law. Is there a second law? No. But what it's pointing to is that in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments were given. They were given just after the Israelites had left Egypt. And now, 40 years in the desert, Moses again in Deuteronomy 5 reminds them of the Ten Commandments. And he says, I want everybody to come together. He calls all Israel together. Now listen. There's young, there's old, there's rich, there's poor, there's married, there's singles, there's seniors. Everybody's there. And what is God trying to communicate? God is really into community. God is really into teamwork. This is something that is very, very important to God. God encourages us strongly towards teamwork and teams and working with other people. And he warns us, everybody, of the dangers of isolation. Now, I know some of you are like isolationists or some of you are introverts. I'm an introvert. You have to push through that tendency to kind of do things on your own without a team around you because it is not successful. And God warns us over and over again in the scriptures about the dangers of isolation. So think about it this way, everybody. The, the, the Israelites, they didn't get set free from slavery. Like God didn't come down and like say, okay, poof, you're free from slavery. Enjoy it. That's not what he did, did he? What did he do? He worked with people in a team. He said, I'm not going to do this unless I have a team. So he goes out and he recruits who? Moses, I'm going to work with you. And then Moses goes and recruits Aaron. And they go together and that's how it happened. God just doesn't show up and randomly do things because God is so committed to teamwork. You might recall Jesus Christ goes to a village in the Gospels. And it says, he says this word, I couldn't do many miracles there because they had so little faith. Does God need our faith to do miracles? He doesn't. He doesn't. He created, according to Genesis 1, created this whole world. And science tells us that there was a time when there was nothing, then all of a sudden there was something. In Genesis chapter 1, all of a sudden, boom, he didn't need us there to do it. But what is he saying now? He says, by principle, God is saying, I will not do it unless I have a team to do it with. So Jesus Christ is in this village. He says, I can't do any miracles. I couldn't find any teammates there. I couldn't find anybody that would work with me. That is how important team is. Now, here's some verses about that. Ecclesiastes Chapter 4 says it this way, two are better than one. Two, you've got to have a team. In your homework that you have in your bulletins or on, on the website, you can get this for further study. We talk more about Ecclesiastes. We kind of go into those verses more. It's about the importance of teamwork. Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need a team. Proverbs 24 says, don't go to war without wise guidance. How many people here do you realize that you're in a warfare? And that is exactly what the Bible tells us, that we are in a war. It's not easy. We're in a warfare. It says, don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many counselors. Your victory and my victory depends on us having many counselors. The worst financial decision I ever made in my life was 15 years ago. I had owned a home very close to Key School where we used to meet. It was uh, right off of Lee Highway. We got it for dirt cheap, almost nothing. I had very little mortgage payment. My monthly payment was small. My mortgage was small. It was very small. And we decided when we had kids, we had to move out of this little tiny house. And so we sold that house and we bought another house. I was in isolation. I didn't have a team around me. 
So I said, dumbest decision. That house more than quadrupled its value in the next five years. The payments, I'm in an, an incredible rental market right off of Lee Highway, right close to the courthouse. I mean, I could rent that house like that for more than my mortgage payment. Been very simple. But I sold it, and I look back at how stupid. Today, I have a team of people around me. And if I would just casually mention, you know, I'm thinking about selling my house and buying a one person would raise their hand up and say, you know, hey, John, have you thought that how easy that house is to rent and then you would have them be quad... You know, they would say those things to me. I didn't have it. Now, there's things more important than money, and those things are about what God wants to do in your life. And we're foolish to think with all the scriptures, and as many times as God says this over and over, that we can't allow... That you, we think, we think for a second that I am going to accomplish what God wants to do in my life all by myself without people who know me closely and are a part of my team. It's absolutely impossible. And the Bible points to this over and over and over again. Football players don't win Super Bowls if they're on a team by themselves. When's the last time you heard of a football team with one person on it? They don't win many games, do they? It's not going to happen. Isolation is dangerous. In, in, in Exodus chapter 2, Something happens to Moses. He's about 40 years old. He's very young. He's 40 years old. Okay? Some of you are catching that right now. But he's very young. He's 40 years old. And he didn't have a team of people. He worked in isolation. And he made a decision one day, and it cost him dearly for the next 40 years of his life. Now, fast forward with me if you can real quick. Exodus chapter 17 and 18. An incredible thing happens in the life of Moses. Here's what happens, everybody. Uh, they are out in the desert. He's leading the Israelites. And they have this group of people called the Amalekites who come up against them in war. So they're going to have this battle. He says, Joshua, his general, you go down in the valley and fight. I'm going to go on this mountain up here, and I'm going to pray for you. So he goes up on the mountain and begins to pray. And as he prays, Joshua, the general, and this whole army, they win, they're starting to win the battle. But then Moses gets tired, and he puts his arms down because he's exhausted. And Joshua begins to lose. So what happens? Aaron and her, Ben's great-great-great-grandfather, her, all right? Aaron and her come along either side, and they hold up his arms. They hold up his arms. And Joshua begins to win the battle again. Now, you would think that Moses would say, ah, yes, I remember 40 years ago, I had this thing that happened. I, saw, I need a team of people around me. Okay, now I'm good. What is the very next story as Exodus 18 begins? Here's the next story. So his father-in-law, Jethro, comes. And Moses is very excited about that. I don't know why, because, you know, he's genuinely excited because father-in-laws tend to travel with their mother-in-laws. But even though that was the case, Moses is very excited to see Jethro. And they spend all day talking and fellowshipping and eating and all this kind of stuff like this. And then the very next day, Moses gets up. He gets up at the crack of dawn and he goes out and everybody who has a problem, millions of people who are there in the Israelite, everybody has a problem, they all come to Moses. And they, you tell us what the law says. You tell us what the Bible says. And you, he does it all himself from morning till night. And at the end of the day, Jethro, his father, says, hey, Moses, could you come over here for a second? You and I, could we talk about something for just a minute? It's okay? Can we talk? I know you're tired. Can we talk? What you're doing is not good. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear the people out. It's, this is going to be a catastrophe. You remember that story you told me 40 years ago, Moses, when you tried to go out on your own, you didn't need anybody, you're going to make your own plans, do your own thing, and how you messed up royally with that? You're getting ready to do the same thing right here. Here's what you need to do. You need to select a team. What we're going to talk about this morning is the four things that we find in the Bible, what we need to select. It says this in Exodus 18.21, Jethro says to him, he says, Moses, I want you to keep a sharp eye out for these kind of people. Everybody here this morning, here's the kind of people that you want to keep a sharp eye out. 
Here's the people you want to pray for that would be joining your team. And here's the people you want to look for to add to your team, your circle of friends, your close-knit people. You you absolutely have. You will never cross the goal line unless you have this. Not in God's book, not God's will, not God's way. You will not cross the goal line that God has for you unless you have these people. He says, look for this. Look at, keep a sharp eye out for competent men, men who fear God, and men of integrity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, as we dig into your word, that you would speak to each one of us, no matter where we are, and help us to understand what it is that we need to do today to begin to move towards that goal line that you want us to head for. In Jesus' name, amen. If you do not have a team, you're in trouble. A, number one, if you do not have a team of people around you that really know you and love you, you're in trouble. B, if you have a team but you have the wrong players on your team, you, my friend, are also an extreme amount of trouble. You need a team. So here's what you look out for. Number one, select competent people. Competent people. What kind of people are competent people? Well, this word here means a skilled soldier. The word that Jethro uses, you need skilled soldiers who are on your team. Who's a skilled soldier? A soldier, a skilled soldier in this case, is somebody who is, has a voracious appetite to learn. You want somebody who has learned how to handle the battles of life. But not just that. You don't want somebody who's sitting back in some headquarters somewhere who just studied, studied, studied about battles. You need somebody who's actually gone on and experienced the battles and has wounds on them to show for it. They have experienced life. Those are the kind of people you want on your team. People who are hungry to learn and people who are actually going out and facing the battles of life. They're not scared sitting back in some just pontificating on some thoughts they have on what's going to work for you in your life. These are people who are actually really living life. You do not want apathetic people on your team. Seven times in the book of Deuteronomy, seven times God calls people together and says, I want you to do this. I need you to learn. Deuteronomy 4.10, first time it says, God speaking, assemble the people before me to hear my words so they may learn. Seven times that's repeated. You have to have a hunger to learn and you want to select people on your team who are not apathetic, but people who are hungry to learn. You ever heard this phrase before? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Anybody ever heard that? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. We have a couple old dogs here who've actually heard that term before. All right, so here's the thing. Moses is 80 plus years old, and Jethro has come along and said, hey, listen, I I need to teach you a new trick. I need you to learn something brand new. And you know what Moses does? Moses says, yeah, tell me. I'm like a sponge. What is it that I need to learn to do differently? He soaks it up. The problem with some of us is that, and this happens in my own life, is that at the age of 20, I'm already an old dog, right? I'm already, I'm already showing signs that I'm kind of, you know, stuck in my ways. I, I, I know what I want to do. Hey, don't tell me something new. I've already got my pattern set. I got my stuff set. We need people on our team who are hungry to learn, particularly God's word, hungry to learn, open and flexible and ready to hear. Those are the kind of teammates you want. You don't want apathetic people. You want readers are leaders. You ever heard that before? Readers are leaders, and you want people who are readers, they're learners, and they're leaders on your team. Now, let me pause for a second. I want to talk to just parents for just a second. Parents, listen, there is going to come a day, if you are a parent, there will come a day when your kids will look at you and you will no longer be the coolest person in their lives. I don't know if that's happened to you already or you have no clue that that's ever going to happen to you, but I'm just telling you right now, that day's coming. They're going to look to some other adult, and that other adult all of a sudden is going to be Mr. Cool or Mrs. Cool, and they're going to look to them for wisdom, affirmation, guidance, and all that kind of stuff, and you are no longer, I mean, you are going to be so far from cool, it's unbelievable. 
Now, here's the thing. You can either allow them to go out and select those adults who are going to give them wisdom and guidance and affirmation. Just leave it up to chance. Hey, man, whatever happens, let them select. Or you could surround yourself with a circle of people who know you, that are like a family to, to you, people that you know and trust, people of integrity, the things we're going to talk about this morning. And you can begin to surround yourself with those kind of people so that when your child gets older and you're no longer cool, you know that they'll go to that person hopefully and receive wisdom, guidance, and affirmation from that person. Very, very important. This is a very smart thing to do. When my son turned 16, we had a choice to make. Hey, we thought we'll have a big party for him. He's 16 years old. Let's have a party for him. Invite all his friends over and do whatever he wants to do. Have a big party. And the thought hit us, you know what? No, let's not do that. Let's invite a couple of his friends, but let's bring a bunch of adults over that we know, that we love, that we trust, and that he knows, and that knows him. And let's get in a circle. And let's have them prepare statements about our son, words of affirmation and wisdom. One of the most special times we've ever had in our house. You need to begin to put a circle together. And if you are refusing to do it for your own good, if you're a parent, please do it for your kid's good. Because you need to begin to put that team of people together. Because it will benefit your kids immensely. Immensely. Okay. Second thing. Number one, select competent people. Number two, select people who have the desire to put... God first. Select people who have the desire to put God first. Now, nobody's perfect with this. Nobody's perfect with this. None of us are always going to put God first all the time unless your name is Jesus Christ, all right? But you, we can have the desire to do it. Look what it says. In the, this is the very first commandment, Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. You do not want teammates who don't even want to try. Look, we all make mistakes, we all blow it, we do all kinds of stuff in our life, but you don't want teammates on your team who could even care less about trying about putting God first. I understand that we all make mistakes, but in a, look, at, look at Jesus' disciples. I mean, they had a lot of problems, but deep down inside, they did. It kept rising to the top that they wanted to put God first, and this is what's really important. So you might say, well, John, how am I going to figure that out? If somebody wants to put God first, listen to them. Listen closely to the words they say. When Jethro spoke to Moses, here's what he said. And get the connection here. In Exodus 18, 19, he says, Moses, I got something I want to tell you. And you need to select these people around you because you're wearing everybody out and you're wearing yourself out. Here's what you want to do. And he tells them what to do. Then he says, but may God be with you. And that was their way of saying 4,000 years ago, only do this if this is God's will. Like the thing that trumps everything. Like I'm giving you my best wisdom. This is what the person says. But only, only if that is God's will. Because God's will is king. It's supreme. God's will is king. And what you'll be doing is you'll be talking to people. And you'll notice if you listen to them talk. That they'll start qualifying things from time to time. And say, yeah, but you know, here I gave you my best effort. But really, you know, let's, let's talk to God about that. You'll hear it in their voice. That above all else... They're putting God first. And those are the kind of people you want on a team. Number one, select people who are competent, skilled soldiers. Number two, select people who have the desire to fear God, right? Number three, select people of integrity. You want people of integrity. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not surround yourself with people of low character because it's very dangerous. You're trying to get across the goal line. You're trying to win a Super Bowl in life. 
You're straining towards what's ahead, forgetting what's behind. If you have people, close people on your team that you've widened your circle to, your, your people around you, your family around you, and they are very low character, you think that that's not at some point going to come back and bite you. You're wrong. It's going to come back and bite you sooner or later because people you know and trust on your team that are confidants of you, if they're people of low character, it will bite you. So this past week, I just Googled, you know, Super Bowl catastrophes, low character, and here's what it came up with. It came up with Super Bowl 23. Who knows who played in Super Bowl 23? Anybody? Super Bowl 23? One man right here knows Cincinnati Bengals against the San Francisco 49ers. It was a horrendous loss for the Cincinnati Bengals. They almost won it. Would that have been their first Super Bowl ever? They've won a Super Bowl before? That would have been the first ever. Right. That's, see, they'll never, see, they lost that one and now they'll never win again. It's just, it's, it's just over. So when I Googled this, you know, here's what I came up with. I came up with this story. Can I just share this with you real quick? Because it's so good. They had a defensive lineman on their team. His name was Jason Buck. And this guy, all of his life, was, was training as a kid. He did all this stuff to get himself to the Super Bowl. And now he's playing. And so here is the day of the Super Bowl. And they're sitting in a meeting. And they're waiting for the coach to come in. And there's some players who are missing. And everybody knows it. And finally, the coach walks in. And they said, coach had tears in his eyes. And they found one of the players, five of the players went out and had this massive party and drugs and alcohol. One of the guys like almost even died from it. He's passed out. He got suspended. He didn't play in the game. The other four players were just kind of blitzed, you know. And so this was a problem because the one player who didn't play, he was like perfectly matched his skills for the, where they were playing down in Miami and the conditions. He would have been a real big asset. And so here Jason Buck, defensive lineman, is writing about character in winning the Super Bowl. This is what he says, quote, while everybody's emotions were high, he's talking about in this team meeting right before the Super Bowl, all I could think of was this, I had paid the price to be here. And at this moment, I worked my entire life and I have these five guys who don't take care of business. These players did not have the integrity to be ready for the biggest game of our lives. My whole career was playing in this moment. If these players had integrity, they would have waited till after the Super Bowl to have their party. I believe there are a couple major plays in the, ne- in, in the next day that were blown because of these players because they were out partying before. Super Bowl 23 has gone down in history as one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. We lost in the last few seconds of the game. This guy's a little angry. I don't know if you can sense the bitterness there. Okay, we lost it in the last few seconds of the game. The greatest games will always come down to one or two critical plays. And I believe that if teammates had practiced class character, discipline, and integrity, these things would have been different. We would have been world champions and not the San Francisco 49ers. Does it come back and bite you when you have teammates who don't have character in class? Now, this guy is very upset. He's very bitter. He's, he just lost it. He lost. That's the bad news. That's the really bad news. If you have people on your team of low character. Now, let me tell you the good news for this guy, Jason Buck. Here's the great news. After that season, He was traded to a team of character. He was traded to the Washington Redskins. And in 1991, he got his Super Bowl ring. So maybe you've made mistakes. Maybe you've been playing on teams, uh, low-character teams like Dallas, right? Or Cincinnati. You've been on those kind of character teams, and you want to get on a good character team like the Redskins. You, You have time. 
you can still do this. You can turn things around. One last thing I want to say about low character. You might say, well, John, what am I looking for? Right? I'm praying about having a team of character, but what exactly am I looking for? I'm going to give you just three things from the Pharisees. Those people, those guys that, you know, just haunted Jesus all of his life. Three things from them. First of all, they were deceivers. I mean, they were hypocrites. They said one thing, they did another. But also, once you add this to the mix, you ever talk to somebody and the stuff they say and the stories they tell or whatever just seems a little fuzzy? I think, you know what I'm talking about. It just seems a little fuzzy. You need to pay attention to that. If things don't line up with people are saying around you, pay attention to that. That's a character issue. If people are saying those fuzzy things. And if that's hard for you to discern, here's what you need to do. You need to ask God to give you discernment because God wants to give you discernment. And discernment is when you can see through all the fog and you can see clearly to what's going on. Pray for discernment. Second thing about the Pharisees, they were ungrateful. Ungrateful people are people who lack character. Ungrateful people are people who lack character. When you're around somebody who is constantly ungrateful, red flags should start going up on you. Final thing about them. The Pharisees were gossips. The Pharisees were gossips. Pay attention to this. People of low character are gossips. By the way, let me tell you one other thing. We all kind of like to hear gossip. Like this like multi-billion dollar business with the gossip magazine. So there's a part of us that likes to hear gossip. Well, let me tell you something. You've got somebody in your life who comes around you and they're gossiping like, oh man, and it kind of feels good because, you know, somebody you know is getting pushed down and that means you're getting raised up because of the gossip. I want you to know this. You know all that gossip they do when they're with you? Who do you think they're gossiping about when they're not with you? They're gossiping about you. Do not hang out with gossips. They're low character people. People who are ungrateful, people who are deceivers, and people who gossip, stay away from them. You do not want them as teammates. All right. Can I give you one last one? I know I got nine, less than nine minutes. I'm going to do my best here, give you one last one. I'm adding to Jethro's list real quick. Just one addition in the scripture I see. Fourth thing is select diversity. Select diversity. You need to diversify, right? Money managers talk about diversify your portfolio. You need to diversify your team. Colin Powell talks about the clash of ideas because he has a diversified team around him. Abraham Lincoln, book was written called, anybody know the book? Team of what? Really? Nobody has read Team of Rivals? Nobody knows the national bestseller Team of Rivals? Nobody? Too old? Too late? All right, whatever. Okay, Abraham Lincoln believed in a diversified team, a team of rivals. Okay, so I'll just throw that out there. You need to diversify your team. Eleven quarterbacks never win any games. Eleven quarterbacks, eleven running backs don't win any games. You have to have a diversified team. Yes, you need competent people. Yes, you need people that have a desire, right, to put God first. And yes, you need integrity. But if you have those three critical elements, and yet you have this uniformity in your team with very little diversification, you're still going to lose because it's going to mess up the way you look at life. You'll begin to see, the, all of your life will begin to see, be clouded because you'll look through one lens and you'll begin to go crazy. It will drive you insane. Jesus had a very diverse team. You think about the disciples. You think they were diverse? They're extremely diverse. You had fishermen, you had tax collectors, and you had zealots. Now, in case you did not know, the zealot committed his life to killing the tax collector. That's what his life was committed. I'm going to kill tax. He signed an oath. I killed tax. And Jesus puts that kind of diversity on his team. Now, I'm not recommending 
that you do anything of the sort. Jesus is Jesus, and none of us in this room are Jesus. But I am recommending that you have a very diverse team. Let's talk about the Tower of Babel for just a minute. Some of you might be familiar with this story in the book of Genesis called the Tower of Babel. It's a group of people. It says they, they talked alike, they walked alike, they looked alike. They were total unified. And uni- Jesus is into unity. God's into unity, but he's not into uniformity. He's not into uniformity. And that's clear from that story. God is into diversity. He is into diversity. That brings glory to God. And so God looks at this situation of uniformity and says, this ain't good. And it's all this, that their language became confused. And that's why we call it the Tower of Babel. They started speaking babble to each other. Here's the thing. If you hang out with all, notice the word I said, all. If you hang out with all Republicans and all Democrats and all Libertarians and all married people with young kids or all senior citizens or all singles, when you get yourself so immersed into that, you hang out with all whites or all blacks or all Latinos or all Asians, when you get so immersed into one thing of uniformity, you're going to start speaking babble. Diversity brings glory to God. There's a big world out there. Let's look what the Bible has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Jesus Christ. So it is with Jesus Christ. Stretch yourself because this body, Jesus Christ, is made up of many parts. You want to know what heaven looks like? Here's what heaven looks like. Revelation chapter 7. I looked... And there before me was this great multitude, and nobody could count them. They were from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language standing before the throne of God. Now, let's say you got 11 quarterbacks on your team because you have not diversified. you got 11 players and all just standing like this. There's nobody to hike in the ball. There is no ball. The center didn't bring the ball out. He's just standing there. Are you getting anywhere? Or you got 11 running backs standing behind a quarterback ready to go. They're just ready. I mean, they're ready to win the game. There's nobody giving the ball. It looks ridiculous. And it will drive us insane. We're not getting it. This is why we must be diverse. Now, can I just tell you one final story before we wrap this thing up? All right. So one of the greatest things, I'll never forget it, and I walked in here last week and immediately brought to my mind, it happened 40 yards right behind you on that last bleacher uh, in in one of those basketball courts. Much of my teenage years was spent right here in this gymnasium playing basketball came up many days after school play. There's probably 40 or 50 of us guys, regulars, that came here all the time. And there was one guy, to sum it up for you real quick, not, without giving you a lot of stuff, this guy was kind of just a jerk. I'm sorry to be so harsh, but that's pretty much what the situation is. And nobody liked him. Nobody liked him on your You didn't even want him on the court, whether he was on your team or against you. You didn't care. He's just one of those guys that you didn't, you didn't want him around. Okay, so one day he comes walking in the gymnasium. There's a bunch of us guys there. He comes walking in the gymnasium, and uh, he had this girl with him. Okay, and you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm studying to be a preacher, and uh, so, and I'm dating Krista, I think at the time, or married. I don't know which one it was. So I don't know this because I didn't look. I didn't look because I'm studying to be a preacher. But the other guys told me that she was really, really good looking, and uh, <laughs> they also said that she was very scantily clad. All right, so that's as much visual I give you on that. But when she walked into the gym, it, it there was a, there was. There was noise that erupted from the gym. There was acting with, whoo, you know, there's that kind of stuff. So there was, it made a scene, you know, okay? So it was a scene. And he, she's walking in with this guy. 
and nobody, you know, and so they come up, and I think they sat down on the bench together, they were, I can't remember what they were doing, but it was and everybody was like, oh my gosh, you know, and talking to each other, but not really saying something to them, and this one guy walks up, we all love this one guy, he was hilarious, he was very blunt, like when he saw something, I mean, he would just say it, but he was so funny that you just kind of took it, you know what I mean, you've been around those kind of people, they can just smack you in the face, but they're so funny and smiling when they do that, you just take it for some reason, that's the way this guy was, and he walked up, and he got right in front of them, and he just went, What? And then he looks at her and he says, baby, what are you thinking about? You should have walked around the block a few more times before you settle for this. Are you crazy? What was he saying? You got to get off your street. You spent too many hours on your street. There's a whole world behind outside of your street. Some of us are hanging out on the same street a little bit too much. Some of our teams are just not diverse enough and it is driving you insane. That's what the Tower of Babel is all about. When you immerse yourself in the same thing all the time, all the time, all the time, you just begin to speak Babel, and you've got to get off of your street. Now here, in conclusion, God wants to bless your life. A lot of people think, oh my gosh, I've got to live up to God's word and all this stuff that it's telling me. Why does God want to rob me of so much fun? Actually, God is saying, I want your best. Deuteronomy chapter 10. God says, all of these laws and decrees are for your good. Look what he says in Deuteronomy 28. This is really good. He says... If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, all of these blessings will come to you. You'll be blessed in the city. You're going to be blessed in the country. You're going to be blessed when you come in. You're going to be blessed when you go out. Is that clear that God wants to bless our lives? Over and over again, he wants to bless our lives. Value number one, what does the Bible say about that? When you ask that question, it moves you toward the blessing that God wants for your life. Value number two, widen your circle. Widen your circle. Pay attention to these things. They're very, very important. Last scripture, Proverbs 21. Please don't ignore this one. It says, don't envy bad people. Don't even want them to be around you. What is that saying? It's saying that some of us, everybody, this morning, right here this morning, we have some team uh, members, some people on our team, some people are part of our circle, and we know they shouldn't be there. We have some team members that we, like a general manager, need to cut from our roster because they're not people of integrity, uh, they're people that are slowing us down. They're people that aren't propelling us towards the goal that God, the good goal that God has for us. We actually need to cut them. And right now you're like going through your mind, oh my gosh, yes, I need to cut them or maybe I need to cut them or man, if I cut them, they would get all upset. I can't cut them. How can I do this? How can, how can I cut them from my team? Listen, you've got to cut them from your team. It is slowing you down from what God wants to do in your life you cannot allow bad company corrupts good character. Now, I want to help you out with this if I can, because some of you are like really struggling with this. And here's the deal. You talk to those people, all right? Talk to me if you have to. Say, look, man, we can't, no more. We're done. We can't be on the same team together. You tell them, Pastor Derek, Sunday morning in church, told me I had to cut you from my team because you're slowing me down. And if you need to talk to him about that, 703-243-3340, call Pastor Derek and let him have But he told me, Pastor Derek told me, that you had to be cut because you're slowing me down. God wants to do something great with your life. You have to have a team. If you're an introvert, you have to have a team. If you're an introvert like me, you've got to have a team. Widen your circle. Widen your circle. God is committed to teamwork. Get a team. And if you have the wrong team members on your team, get the right ones. Get the right ones. Now, here's a great place for you to start. You need to pray about this. You need to keep a sharp eye out this, what it's being talked about here. It's great. Our prayer team. Our prayer team prays all week for this situation right here this morning. 
Why would you pray about this on your own? They pray all week so that whatever happens here on Sunday morning, they could pray with you about it. They're going to be right over here, right by those black cases. They'll be right there to pray with you. Why would you try to pray for this on your own? All of us need help. We need a team. Consider doing that. Widen your circle and imagine the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, that even though sometimes when I say, oh, my goodness, your word is restricting me, I thank you, Lord, that I know the bottom line is, is that you have good things in store for me and that you want to bless me immensely, way beyond what I could think or imagine. Lord, bless every single person here today and give us the teams around us that you see fit. Help us, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.